This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. From MPB Think Radio, this is Now You're Talking, the show about the most interesting people and stories in Mississippi. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey. I'm editor-at-large at Mississippi Today, and you probably see some of my cartoons there as well. On Thursday, November 4th, MPB Television is debuting a fantastic documentary. It's Walter Anderson, The Extraordinary Life and Art of the Islander. Also, there's a companion full-color 276-page book that will be coming out as well. So today, we're going to be welcoming the show to the show. It's producer, friend of the show, Robert St. John, and its director, filmmaker, Anthony Thaxon. We're just going to go ahead and jump into our guest today. Um, Java, I just want to say a quick hello to you. And thank you for driving the bus today. I appreciate it. Well, no problem, Marshall. Hopefully we get to our destination. Yeah, I think so. I am I'm today. It's really interesting because Robert and Anthony are in the studio, and yet I am down on the coast, and I can actually see Horn Island uh, from where I'm sitting off in the distance, which I think is a perfect setting for what we're going to be talking about today. Robert, I just want to say welcome back to the show. Anthony, welcome to the show. And uh, I just want to big congratulations to both of you for creating an absolutely beautiful telling of a complex and brilliant artist's life. Thanks, buddy. Thank you. Yeah, no, that's good stuff. And, and I'm really sorry I couldn't be with you all today. i got to speak today at 1. But um, I, like I said, I, I just think it's a perfect location to be talking about this because uh, it's just a fantastic, um, fantastic film you all put together. Anthony, I guess we'll go ahead and start with you a little bit because we don't really know you as well because we hadn't talked to you on the show. But um, you graduated from Mississippi College in 1994. How did you get involved in filmmaking? Well, actually, I did start uh, before going to Mississippi College. I was at the Math and Science School in Columbus, and Jack Carter had a creative media class. And uh, in that class, uh, I I got to start telling stories. I did a video about Glenn Ray Tudor, the artist in Oxford, and and just got a lot of encouragement there from the the, uh, doctor, uh, all of the staff at the Math and Science School. And Emma Richardson was my Mississippi writers and creative writing teacher. So all of the... All of them, all of the staff there, kind of promoted and encouraged uh, my my first attempts at filmmaking. But then at Mississippi College, Dr. Sam Gore, who called one day and said, uh, "I think you're supposed to be at MC," and I said, "Well, sir, I'm already gone to three days of classes at another university." And he said, "Well, tomorrow you need to skip and come up here because I think you're supposed to be here." So I went to Mississippi College and visited and and. Uh, enrolled and uh, Dr. Gore and Kenneth Quinn and all of the staff at MC was just so instrumental in helping me, uh, allowing me to do all these crazy art videos and documentary early attempts uh, with with them being the subject matter. And then they used some of those videos to teach at MC for for years to come. So so it was just that kind of start. And then with Robert and, and Wyatt coming along and doing television work with them over the years and pilot episodes and um, and now here we are doing Walter Anderson, one of our favorites. I know you, 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 we're going to be talking, of course, about Walter Anderson is truly a Mississippi and national treasure. But also, too, I mean, you mentioned Sam Gore, and that's a whole nother subject for another another show because Sam is just truly, uh, he was just such a just 
such a renaissance man. He really was. Absolutely. And Mississippi College just announced here at Homecoming um, that they are uh, establishing the Gore Arts Complex and they're uh, putting uh, over uh, millions of dollars into a new facility there, um, uh, renovating uh, the East Campus and naming it for the Gore Art Climb Complex. So, yeah, we'll have to come back and talk about some of that. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, you know, one of the things, I, I, I've had a chance to watch the documentary a couple times, and I will watch it a couple more times. It's just absolutely beautiful. One of the things I enjoyed about it was the music, and then I saw the credits at the end, and I saw who did actually write and compose the music. And uh, I, I think you've got a moment here to do a little bit of bragging. Oh, yeah, it's a it's a good dad moment. Um, my son, yeah. my son, Bryant, this was two years ago, I, uh, or two and a half years ago, I said, son, Robert and I are wanting to do this documentary on, on Walter Anderson. And he was familiar with Anderson. I said, son, I want you to write the music. You're, you're studying composition at Mississippi College. I think he was maybe a sophomore then when I first mentioned that. He said, dad, I can't do that. I said, yes, you can do that. Just, you just start writing. So I I gave him some of the artwork to look at. I told him about Horn Island and, and just started painting a picture there. And he said, well, what musicians will we use? And I, I said, well, pick your friends. So he, he, he chose friends who played cello and flute. And these are... And, and percussion and piano and these are all high school and college students so he he recruited his friends to play his compositions and he recorded them there in the, our studio back behind my home and uh and at the mississippi college um band hall so he he recruited did all of the engineering and the mixing and most people say their favorite part about the film is the music so as a dad i'm I, i'll take that I'm i'm very very proud of the music it's funny because I was sitting there watching and thinking, well, this is really good. I wonder where you get music like this when you put together a documentary. And then I saw the very end and did a little quick Googling, and I went, okay, now I know Anthony's super proud. And <laughs> your, 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 your daughter, Sydney, also helped out a little bit too, didn't she? She, she did. Um, Sydney is a, a, gosh, a sophomore at, at Jackson Academy, and she has an artistic eye. Uh, she's a great artist herself, and she loves Anderson. But the way we film the artwork and panning across images on the the floor and on the tabletops and with shadows you know we were trying to do something a little more creative with showing the artwork rather than just full screen and she said dad i think i can help do some of that so i gave her a camera and said you know here here's a stack of of, of prints that i want you to do and so she was setting up the the objects in the foreground here's a pocket watch at the edge of this one and this lighting and she did a wonderful job and then one more thing on sydney we she went with me on a second trip to horn island and I was filming for the second time with my drone. I was nervous as a cat because I'm like, I'm going to drop this drone in the middle of the Gulf out here with the wind. So I'm flying it. And I said, Sydney, would you, I'm, I'm really intently watching the drone. I'm like, would you, would you get that mosquito off my leg? And she looks down and, <laughs> and says, daddy, oh no. And I look down and there's, there's blood running. There are so many mosquitoes on my legs because at dusk, they all came out and they had not been out before. And so she is just horrified. She's swatting all these mosquitoes on my legs. And then the that night, a raccoon infiltrated our camp, and uh, so we just had a lot of good father-daughter adventures out there filming some of that aerial footage on Horn Island, which I think really worked well too. I got, I got to tell you too on, on that footage that you shot out there, and there, there was one shot where you were literally dropping one of the one of the paintings into the fire, and I mean <laughs> that was that was number one. It was like 
I know that's a copy or I would be like crying, but it was, it was so incredibly powerful as visual storytelling too. And your shots out on Horn Island were just a love letter for the coast. Thank you. Um, and, and yeah, that was, that was kind of jarring. I showed a clip in my watercolor <laughs> class and I, I have a student, um, who's from Taiwan and she turned around, you did not burn the real painting. And I said, no, Joyce, I didn't. <laughs> and she was very, very concerned about that. And, and one of the interesting things about shooting it that way, um, because obviously a lot of these paintings have been, were destroyed in Katrina. So we were working with a lot of prints. We were working the museum was wonderful the family was wonderful by letting us go into the vaults and the archives so we're using all of these images some from photographs some but we printed these out and as we're filming across there i was showing uh maddie at the museum who's the curator and she said when did you get these paintings to use and i said what do you mean she said these original paintings and i said i said maddie <laughs> um those were not the originals some of those were prints so if we fool the curator at the museum i i really believe um uh I really believe that we we did a good job if she thought that they were all the originals. And Anderson used to burn his own work. Um, he would cull oh, no. his work. Uh, a lot of the paintings you'll see after his death, they went in and in his fireplace, there was a stack of paintings and had burnt edges where he had set them afire, but the fire went out. So it's a huge stack of watercolors. So you'll see them in our book and things about how some of them have burnt edges because he had tried to burn them, but the fire just went out. So um, it's really interesting to see the ones he chose to burn and the ones that, uh, or he would start a campfire with one. So, but yeah, that part in the film, it's jarring for me every time I I watch that because I cringe a little. Yeah. I can't wait to get a copy of the book, to be honest with you. I mean, you kind of whetted my appetite on that. And, (laughs) Um, Robert, I, I got to say, um, you are, you know, a man of many talents, and now that you're a, a film producer, congratulations on that. What, <laughs> what what made y'all both to say, you know what, we're going to go after Walter Anderson and tell his story? You know, this this started when we were uh, filming uh, Palette to Palette, and we were in the Walter Anderson Museum. Uh, down there filming that show uh, with Wyatt and me and uh, Anthony, who directed, edited, uh, produced uh, that show, uh, did, you know, he's he's a man of many, many talents and, and multitasks with ease. But we were down there that night filming and John Anderson showed up. And uh, the idea really just came from, we were talking to John, I bet Anthony's memory is going to be a little clearer on that, but I just remember that night thinking, uh, you know, it started out as as kind of one project that was going to be a three-part thing, and it finally just got down to, you know what, we need to tell the story of Walter Anderson unlike it's ever been told in in a more um, really holistic way approach to it and and the way we did it uh is is we really told it through the eyes of the people who know him best and that and that's the family and so really uh, there's never been any book uh when you when you see the book marshall you're going to love this book or a documentary or any kind of video piece that has covered his life and work quite like this does. We're really, really proud of this uh, work. 
We're going to take a quick break, but when we get back, we'll continue with our guests, Robert St. John and Anthony Saxon, and talk some more about their brand-new documentary, Walter Anderson, The Extraordinary Life and Art of the Islander. Hey, stay tuned. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Martha Ramsey from MPB. From MPB, of course I'm from MPB. Also from Mississippi Today. And we got a great show today. I hope you're enjoying it. I know I am. So let's continue this conversation with our guests, Robert St. John and Anthony Saxon, and talk some more about their new documentary, Walter Anderson, The Extraordinary Life and Art of the Islander. It's premiering this Thursday, November 4th, I think it's 7 p.m. on MPB television. It'll be repeated several times as well. Um, I've seen it a couple times already. It is absolutely gorgeous to watch because, number one, it's Walter Anderson. His artwork's incredible. But also, too, his four children are in it and telling the stories. And, and Robert, you were talking a little bit about how y'all were down at the museum and with Wyatt, and, of course, Anthony was there, and John shows up, John Anderson, uh, which John's a pretty cool guy. I, I mean, like I said, all the children on the documentary come all – they all kind of had their Shelby Foot moment, you know, where they were – like just That's literally great. feeling the documentary, each and every one of them. John seemed to be like a really chill kind of guy. Yeah, and and that uh, back to that first night where the where the idea for this the, this came, we took um, our group uh, as we were filming the TV show into the little room, and everybody who's been to that museum or, or anyone who knows the Walter Anderson story knows the story of the little room that was locked up until uh, his death, and they went in and found these thousands of watercolors the room has been preserved and is attached to the museum and so we were in there and john was talking about uh the moment that his mother and her sister went into that room after walter anderson had died and it was a very emotional moment i think i teared up anthony was filming uh, uh, he did too and that's kind of how this thing happened but but john and especially john and anthony have really um kind of built a friendship that is is extremely strong and uh he's been very helpful and you know the entire family is just <laughs> they are very unique yep. uh they're all talented in their own right and as Anthony's family is talented in their own right and I'm going to tell you Brian his son uh, is 20 is Brian 20 yes 20 years old 21. when you hear the score when you hear the score of this documentary, you're going to be amazed. Sydney too, but also Anthony's wife Amy yes. has created a curricula uh, for oh, Mississippi wow. school kids uh, that will be distributed uh, throughout the state, and uh, kids who maybe will watch the documentary will also have all grade levels. Uh, she developed uh, this curricula, which is really really brilliant and so it's it's a true uh family effort on the thaxton side of the of the of the thing there yeah i agree with you robert on the score i mean i thought seriously it was completely done by somebody maybe from hollywood or something you know it just it just sounds incredibly large and it fits perfectly 
I mean, each scene where you know the the, the mood of the of the music goes really well with that a little bit. And you you know you're talking about John in that moment when they they had the hammer and they knocked the lock off and they opened it up, and it was almost kind of like God had said to that family, "Now do you understand?" Because they had struggled with you know as he had struggled with his mental illness and some of the other issues he dealt with the whole time they didn't truly understand the genius of their father until they walk in there and they open up a little chest and there's 2000 draw paintings in there and you understand that you know his what some people thought was madness was just his absolute brilliance yeah and and that came together that night when we were in the little room and and John said that night and he he was quoting his mother and then this is also in the documentary that you know, they used to hear from their mother that, you know, your dad would be a really great artist if he weren't such a beachcomber. And then yeah. after he passed yeah. away and they opened the chest with all the art, you know, she said, your dad was such a great artist because he was a beachcomber. And that all came to you. can't be, um, you know. I'm, I'm going to use the word, but he, I, don't, I don't believe he was crazy. A lot of people think that, and they're all the he was eccentric. But you can't, you you have to be in your right mind to produce the amount of artwork that that man produced over his life. Well, and it, go ahead, Anthony. Well, and I just wanted to say, you know, with William Dunlap, uh, our noted, uh, our friend, and noted uh, Mississippi artist, and. Uh, uh, bon vivant. Uh, you know, Bill said, uh, he put it a good way. He said, you know, when I, he was on the island, I think he was saying this could be, you know, uh, if life crowded in on him, just like with any of us and any of an artistic nature, uh, I think, you know, uh, but his, his, his malaria that he had early on and the undulant fever and these things did affect him and where he was in, hospitalized for, for the three years. But afterwards, you know, rowing out to Horn Island at night a lot of times and getting out there and remembering to order paint and being home for his child's birthday and things, um, there there was an awareness. And, and But out on the island, finding that sanctuary, I, I grew up working on a shrimp boat out of um, Bayou Caddy and, and the coast uh, and my dad was a coach in uh, in Waveland uh, Lakeshore area for years and years. So you know, I had that background. So my family coming out of that and take I used to take Horn Island logs on the shrimp boat with me when I was when I was a teenager, yeah. and I would just pour over that those color paintings in the middle, never dreaming we would have a chance to do our own book to tell this own story. Uh, but because of that, and I'm a painter myself, and being able that was what john just really connected with he had always wanted a an artist a painter to tell his daddy's story so we just hit it off and it's just been a wonderful experience mary used to be in charge of kind of the family estate she shepherded so many wonderful books and the helped with the islander film in 77 she did so many great things we owe a lot to her and and sissy and leaf and all of them and now john is heading up the family uh enterprises and uh it's just a great mutual effort with trying to get Walter's story out there to a new audience. You know, you talk about Mary. I thought she's just lovely. I mean, she was just like radiant sunshine on that documentary yes. with her smile and the way she crinkle her eyes and, and so forth. And, you know, you'd look at John and John looks just like his mother. You see so much of his mother in his eyes and everything. But, you know, you going back to Walter's, you know, being crazy or whatever you want to call it, 
you know, you think about when all that happened for him. It was in the late 30s, like 37 or so, his dad died. Then he had the malaria. And then, you know, obviously he's building, having to make these figurines to, to survive the Great Depression. It was literally like the world kind of squeezed in on him crashing. He had that three-year period where he even forgot how to draw after he had walked back from Baltimore. So, it's you know, you see what happened to his life. And, and you realize that truly he is the poster child for art therapy. That, you know, because when I saw the documentary, I texted Dunlap, Bill, or William Dunlap, Bill, as I is another. And wasn't one. he great in the movie, Marshall? Oh, my God. Oh, Bill's always great. Yeah. You know, I mean, he could read the phone book and I'd want to listen to him. He's that, <laughs> that, that sharp. But, he, you know, obviously he made some really important points, but he texted me and he said, you know, I have heard that when he was painting, that he was as lucid as any human being on the planet, that it truly, but you also, you see his writings and you realize, and it's not just, he wasn't just a painter. I mean, he was a totally, he was a sculptor. He was, you know, making prints, but he was a, a brilliant writer also. And his insights into the world are that of a, of a savant. He's just totally, he was just totally a genius. So like I said, just, you did such a good job on the documentary telling that story and making me, who have always, I've always admired his paintings, particularly the stuff that he did in China when he was over there, but I mean, just to understand the brilliance behind it and the kids, my God, their their interviews in this were so good. Well, well, thank you. And and the hard part was squeeze. The first cut I did was twice as long as, and and we had to get it down into an hour format so that it could get airplay across the country when we try to do that. And uh, so it was important to keep it at that length. But it it, it was incredibly difficult to tell. Every all of his story, there was no way to do it. Mary said, "You realize you had an impossible task," and I'm like, "Mary, I I do realize that." Um, and so we couldn't tell everything, but it was important to to really paint a broad picture that this this man, the wood carvings, the block prints, the pen and ink drawings, the pencil drawings, the crayon drawings. Um, I just the more I learned about Anderson, the more I I fell in love with him. And we we had a screening um, at. Mississippi College Homecoming, and one of the art professors, D.P. Smith, came forward and she said, Anthony, I've always known about Anderson, and I've kind of taught him and things. She said, an hour ago, I did not have an appreciation for Anderson, and I do now. And if if nothing else, it's that kind of uh, appreciation that we have with the film. You know, and there's there's one thing we wanted to make sure and do, and it was kind of our guidepost. Uh, through the whole production, and that was we wanted to make sure the person who watches this documentary in Portland, Oregon, or Philadelphia, yeah. Pennsylvania, Chicago, South Florida, wherever, who may not know who Walter Anderson was and uh, the importance of his work, we wanted them to kind of get the whole story. And uh, I, th I know we uh, have accomplished that. And Anthony, Anthony is such a good storyteller uh, using film. And, and you're, you're going to say, I can't wait till people watch this, this thing, Thursday night uh, at 7 o'clock. You're going to be blown away. The thing about Walter Anderson and his art is I've always believed, you know, the best art has a sense of place. And I'm not sure if any other artist was more of his place than Walter Anderson was. And we're, we're just lucky that that place uh, was Mississippi. Yeah, it makes me want to go out to Horn Island, like right now. I mean, that, that, was, that was what, 
number one, I mean, you know, because I mean, I mean, I I dabble a little bit in art, and and it's just I just want to go out there and draw trees. But you touched, you touched on something, <laughs> Anthony, about the mosquitoes and the and the, and the, and the raccoon, and, and I love that line in there where the, the the water moccasin, you know, the joke about the water moccasin bit Walter Anderson. It was a miracle that the water moccasin survived. I mean, that was. Oh sure, sure, Marshall. Just take our up. take our best joke in the whole film and 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 just. Oh, ruin I, it. No, I've ruined the whole thing. For you. That's what I'm here for? Wait till you hear the second half of, of the show. You know, it'll be great. I'm gonna describe it scene by scene. Hey, well, Marshall. No. One of the things I did want to mention because you were talking about you know this story. It was, in a way, it, it, it was easy to tell the story because the family all tell the stories. And somebody said, well, some of their things kind of contradict here and there. Our intent was not to our, – our intent was just to present the family and the people at the museum who are also considered part of their family and just tell these tell these stories. So we have no narration in the script. We don't have a narrator. Right. We just let these stories flow into each other. And – uh, that that's maybe a little more modern storytelling technique or something, but it just fit because we really wanted to, let's find us a really good narrator. Um, and it just didn't work that way because it didn't need it. And, and one thing, you know, you talked about it and, and it was having the family tell the story, but it's also having Sissy, his wife, yeah. tell the yeah, story. And we worked with John Maxwell who is a true talent, and everybody in Mississippi knows who John Maxwell is through his uh, one-man play, Oh, Mr. Faulkner, Do You Write, and all of the uh, work he's done. He uh, reads, and you were right. I mean, Anderson was a poet. He was such a gifted writer. And and to have John Maxwell deliver those lines that, that Anderson wrote is, is, is very moving. The whole, whole documentary opens. Well, with Maxwell uh, quoting Anderson, and it, 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 it's excellent. He made us sound a lot more classy than we are. I mean, it really <laughs> yeah, I mean, bumped it up. Who needs Peter? Yeah, who needs Peter Coyote? We're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to continue speaking with our guest, Robert St. John, Anthony Saxon. Their new documentary is coming out this Thursday on Walter Anderson. And I hope you're enjoying the show so far. I know I am. If you have a question or comment, you can drop us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's one 672 7464 Hey, stay tuned. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Jason Klein from Fix It 101. If you ever thought about changing the doorknob or fixing a leaky faucet, some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey from Mississippi today. Hey, let's continue our conversation with our guest, Robert St. John, Anthony Thaxon, and talk a little bit more about their new documentary, Walter Anderson, The Extraordinary Life and Art of the Islander. It premieres this Thursday, November 4th on MPB television. Um, highly recommend it. Just fantastic documentary. You guys did a great job on it. And, you know, you um, we, we touched on this a little bit. You'd mentioned about Bill Dunlap mentioning in the South, we don't speak ill of the dead. But, I mean, I felt like that Y'all did a good job explaining who Walter, Walter Anderson was and that it was complicated. But I think at the end of the day, that complication made him who he is and, and made his art who he is. And, and y'all did a really good job handling that. 
Well, thank you. And it's almost like it's not in in spite of this he did a good job. It, it's it's almost like no, all of that factored into because of it. Yeah. Absolutely. And right. you know, Robert and I have both comment that you know Walter had Sissy, and without her and this amazing woman in his life, he couldn't have done the things he did. Just like Robert has Jill, and I have Amy, and we couldn't do the things we do without our wonderful wives. But he really did have the the way everything played out and with the family living there on Shearwater and that artistic commune there where uh Peter Anderson uh was there as a surrogate father in some ways at different times and and there was everyone was pitching in for this family business and this family thing and it was just leaf said I felt like this was just normal this was just how yeah. families did and it's still the case i mean the family is still you know, kind of a collective effort uh, carrying on this legacy, this amazing legacy of uh, somebody who's called been called the Van Gogh of America. I mean, this guy, we he truly hasn't uh, gotten his due, in our opinion. And that is kind of one of the things that, that was uh, forefront in our mind as we were producing this uh, documentary. Yeah, I really, you know... I hope that it gets huge traction nationally because it does tell a story that needs to be told on him. And, you know, it, you, you talk about the family on that. And one thing I was watching the kids and to think that when you're growing up and your dad is kind of like, you, you know, there were, I think it was John that said at one point he crossed the street when he saw his dad coming, you know, on the bike and how horrifying that must have been as a kid. But then, you know, now that you're, his age or older, which I guess, you know, I, I say his children, I mean, they're, they're all, they're my parents' age. And it's, to me, I think it's just fantastic. She had all four of them there to be able to talk and to be able to, to interview that they're all still alive and doing well. But the, the fact is seeing the kids on camera, how they have come to terms with their dad's legacy and who he was, that just was beautiful. You know, and, and that's a credit to Anthony who, who really conducted all of those interviews and, and as as I'm sure you know, and anyone who's been involved with any type of production, there are hours and hours and hours yeah. of interview that get cut down to to the sweet spot, uh, to the lines and the quotes that really count. And and he really developed a very very close relationship with that family, which was evident the night we premiered a couple of weeks ago with them and. Uh, they were sitting on the front row, and it was a, it was a, it was a special night. It, it really was moving, and and the family. John, it, we were in one situation where, uh, you know, with any family dynamics, you have disagreements and things, and we're in the middle of one of those. And John turns to me and he <laughs> says, "You really feel like a part of the family now, don't you?" And and I do, I do. Uh, they've been just wonderful, and we've laughed together and cried together. Um, but all of the all of the family. Um, that was the first thing we we did. The first four interviews we did were were those those kids, and um, I think Mary's interview went three hours. John was longer than I mean, I, and they were all halfway through. They're trying to stop, and and I'm like, just a few more questions because I knew the importance of this. And then our book grew out of this because a lot of the interviews that we could not use in the film, we've used those quotes and those stories in the book, and they are so good on camera. Yes, and. And you spoke yeah. about Mary earlier, and, and especially Mary. Her timing and delivery and storytelling are impeccable, but they are all great storytellers. They're all animated. They do a great job. And, you know, Anthony mentioned the book, which is actually, as we speak, sitting uh, on a cargo <laughs> ship outside of San Diego somewhere. But there, there is a companion book that's Robert. coming out. 
Robert. What yes. Is, with you and Book being stuck I'd, on ship. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. So many times. My, well, the first book I ever did, the first book White and I ever did, you know, uh, we, there was a dock strike out there. And uh, and right now, you know, there's this supply chain uh, challenge. And, you know, we're, we're actually rescheduling book signings now. So in addition yeah. to this airing, on MPB, Anthony and I will be touring the state and going to independent bookstores, and and can't wait for you to see this book. It's uh, the companion piece to this documentary is just perfect. It's beautiful. It's definitely on my Christmas list. And like you said, Anthony, I mean, here you've got like literally stacks and stacks and stacks of stuff you just can't use, and and, right. and you can put it in the book that way, and it works out really well. A little bit, and you talk about Mary. Mary, and I was thinking about that, too, and, and Leaf, who's this world-class dancer, how they all, you know, were able to make peace in their father's shadow, too. I mean, here's, you know, everybody in the world calling their dad this great artist, and yet they were comfortable enough to, to grow up and to be able to do their own thing and, and still be part of the family legacy at the same time. That is so hard for kids of famous people to be able to go on and go do their own thing and yet be comfortable with their dad's legacy. Well, well, Marshall, I, I can't imagine um, someone doing a film about my parents and me having to sit there and watch it and be watched watching it. Yeah. And, uh, I, I can't imagine because I, I think, and they've had longer to process this and longer to be a part of this, but here you are, children growing up, and you're feeling like, well, you know, dad's not around and he's not helping and then after his death, yeah. he those paintings have have supported so many family ventures and things for so many years that then there there it, it's just an incredible complex mixture of of there's there's guilt and there's pride and there's there's joy but also there there's there's embarrassment and all, I like every family has so I just can't imagine. But you know his life makes more sense to them today. Than it did 50, 60 years ago, because they understand that it was all about the art and he sacrificed everything. He even sacrificed, you know, his family and time with his family, which they resented at the time. But it was all about this amazing art. And that's a choice he made. And, And I think, you know, at the time they resented that. But I'm not sure now. I think they understand that um the work is so important that he did what he needed to do. And. You know, Horn Island was that sanctuary where things really, really started to come together for him. And he was so productive. And Anthony spoke earlier about, you know, he just lightened the works on fire. And to the point that Sissy tells the story, there was, I mean, he would throw these things going for thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 a piece today, you know, on typing paper. And he was yeah. throwing stacks on on the fire. And so it wasn't necessarily about... You know, people didn't really know his work uh, other than the community center and, and some small things. But, you know, that stack was so big, it put the fire out. I mean, that's what it I, meant I, to him. It was yeah. about, you know, realizations and being in the moment. And John talks about that a and, good and bit. And yes, but, and it was more yeah. about the process rather than the final product, you know. Because yeah, that happened, that happened after China, didn't it? Because it, it literally did. he came back, and that's when he started using the typer. And, and art became a vehicle to take him to, to realization, not, you know, it was the final product wasn't art. The beautiful part yeah. of yeah. Walter Anderson is that it was never about the money. Ever. He never did anything for the money other than painting the little widgets for his brother to kind of bring some money into the family. But his art, 
and the art we appreciate today, the art that's hanging in the museum that uh, bears his name, the arts that that's in this book and in this documentary was all done, you know, never expecting a dime for it. And that that's that's pure and true. Well, and Marshall, like like you're talking about, which I'd be very curious to see any drawings that you do out there, because uh, I love your art, and I would love to see those, and that will be a fun thing to to uh, behold. But uh, when Anderson, uh, John brought a, a folder out, and it said zebras, and I, we opened the folder, and there are maybe 27, 29 paintings, I mean, really complex paintings of zebras in every pose, standing here, zebras lying down. Zebras copulating, which did not make it into the film or the book, uh, <laughs> but it did make it on MPB Think Radio this That's morning. That's right, somehow. but I thought I'd share Thank that with you your audience. Yes, yeah. uh, but just the hard work ethic of he would do 20, 30 paintings of this same thing, studying, studying, and and the process, and those all had burnt edges uh, because yeah. he was he said, okay, I'm going to save the best one and do this because it wasn't about that; it was about the process of experiencing and watching that zebra and be and being a part of nature and just just being and again the more i learn about anderson just the more as an artist i love him the more as a person i love him uh and i have also fallen in love with the family i think you're right on they are awesome those all yeah, four no, I, I, I all four of those kids are great yeah. i want to meet them now because i mean just like i said i i fell in love with them watching the documentary and that's a it's credit to the documentary but also credit to them too you know, we're talking about his work and everything. Dunlap sent me a text on Saturday that just said these four words. We were talking about, you know, obviously Anderson and, and his how prolific he was and everything else. And Dunlap just said these four words, work is the answer. Wow. Yeah. And I was yeah. just like, okay, I got chills on that one. And it was. It was it was the answer for him a little bit. I mean, a lot as well. And, you know, I'm sitting here right now. I'm sitting on the top level of the Beau Rivage parking garage looking out at the mississippi Gulf, rebuilt mississippi gulf coast after katrina and you know i remember of all the destruction that we had during that time and it was so overwhelming it overwhelmed all five senses when you were down here but when i heard that so much of his work had been destroyed by katrina i absolutely my te- my eyes teared up i mean it was like that seemed to be such an overwhelming loss and how the family came back from that is just incredible. It is the most heart-wrenching part of that film, of the story. And it's, it's I don't know how many times I've, I've seen the documentary now uh, in its final form, but it still will rip you up. And, and Anthony was, was even closer to that part of, you know, with the vault and, and everything that happened to the artwork and and what what's not there now and it it was it was it was really a um it's a story that hasn't been told and that was one of the things i'm not I'm not sure that was the favorite part for the family. When I did the interviews, that was a very difficult thing for for all of us. Um, you know, after the storm, I remember not knowing whether or not my brother had survived in Gulfport. I mean, we everyone yeah. everyone went through this, but for them to come back to Shearwater, this beautiful fairyland uh, that they had uh, lost fifteen buildings on the property and homes and. Hey, Anthony. Yes, Anthony. Let's take a quick break, and we'll go awesome. into more depth on this. And then talk about his lasting legacy as well um but we we need to take a quick break so we'll do that right now hey this is now you're talking on mpb think radio and we will be back in just a minute 
Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. Each week, myself or one of my fellow hosts bring you in-depth interviews with different creative Mississippians. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio, or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. All right, welcome back. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey, Mississippi Today. You know, we're continuing our conversation. Robert St. John, Anthony Thaxon, they're in the studio. I'm sitting here overlooking the Mississippi Gulf Coast. And they've got this wonderful documentary. It'll be premiering on Thursday at 7 p.m. on MPB TV. Uh, it is Walter Anderson, The Extraordinary Life and Art of the Islander. It is fantastic, folks. I've seen it twice. I will watch it at least one or two more times. My wife is an art teacher. We've admired Walter Anderson for a long time, and we're going to sit down and have a little um, appointment television, which we don't really do that much anymore. It's That's how good this is. You know, Walter, I mean, we're talking about Walter Anderson's work, his legacy. Katrina roars in, and, you know, they create this vault to protect it after, you know, Betsy and Camille. And they think, okay, the art's safe in the vault. However, the water gets in, and it ruins so much of it and scatters it all across this compound that they've got there on the Gulf Coast. That could have destroyed most families um, at that point. But they seem to have come back like a phoenix. Yes, I, I, it, it was a um, it it was the hardest part of the interviews with the with the family because there was just a, a total change. You can see Mary's face just change, um, and all of them. It was so difficult to talk about because this incredible loss. And John said it took him years to kind of come to grips with that. But he did say something interesting because uh, at one point I asked him how, what percentage of artwork got some kind of damage. Some of them just – a lot of it went underwater. Some of them w- w- didn't receive much damage. He said 90% of their remaining archives had some sort of damage. And now probably probably half of that was things that were really devastating total loss kind of things. But he said it forced him and the family to be able to start sharing some of the artwork that maybe they wouldn't have shared at other times, some of the less completed, the less finished. And as an artist myself, and John has um, a desire to want to do some process type of shows, showing Anderson paintings that are not finished and not completely done, because that's mostly what has been um, exhibited over the years, but he wants to show some of this work that he's done the drawing, he's painted half of it, and showing where he was and, and what was happening. And maybe maybe it started to rain, maybe it got dark, maybe an alligator came after him or whatever, but not being able to finish the art. And he said, we never would have shown some of those in the past, but now some of the other artwork that has just been locked away is being shared. And we have a lot of that in the book and film and I think that's something for for artists and creative folks. We like seeing that process, so I'm excited going forward. It's kind of like Michelangelo's Prisoners, where yeah. where you see that work in progress oh, and yeah. you understand, you know, uh, how impactful it is when you get to the end result. Right. I mean, that's how I learned how to draw. To be honest with you, is watching other people draw and seeing their process. I mean, I'm all in for that, so I can't wait to see it as well. Anthony, you and John actually 
sailed over together wow. in November. You know, to go what that had to be the most amazing experience. It's almost like you're getting to recreate the experience that Walter Anderson had. It really was, uh, Marshall. We went in uh, this 12 or 14 foot sailboat. Uh, so we halfway uh, back afterwards, uh, the wind died. And you can't just sit out there. Uh, we, we paddled for about four hours trying to get back in before dark. Because if you're out there after dark, I mean, it, you, you get, it gets a little dicey. And it was November, so the wind was um, uh, unpredictable. And a good thing about that is the night before we were to go, I mean, the wind picked up. And John said, we're going to have to put off our trip for a day. And I said, well, I don't have anywhere to stay. And he just casually says, well, you could stay at Daddy's. So I got to spend the wow. night in Walter Anderson's cottage in a sleeping bag, and I froze to death, and I did six watercolors, and I had the best time of my life. Uh, <laughs> and then when we went to the island, it was such a magical experience um, because John was apologizing. I hate that we had to row, and I said, John, this is what your father did. Nobody gets this experience anymore. Nobody. So I was thrilled and sore for a month, but uh, it was a wonderful, and then painting on Horn Island, filming on Horn Island. It was. It really was an eye opener for me. And like I said, I worked on shrimp boats. I've been on islands, but I'd never stayed. And now that I've stayed two trips, I just cannot wait for my next trip. What would you say that Walter Anderson's lasting legacy is? You go. Well, I think that I think Anderson's legacy is for folks like me who. He gave me permission to want to do lots of different type of art, not just one style, not just one direction, but just uh, the volume, the creativeness. Uh, he says w one of his quotes is that a man that runs in one direction is easily caught, but a man running in three directions can't be caught. And he was always going in so many directions, and that has spoken to me. So his legacy of his art, his just his persona, his writings. My wife is working on a book about his writings and, and Welty and Faulkner and how they were artists and writers as well. So I think there's a lot of legacy here that I think this is the star of a kind of a resurgence of Anderson. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, Marshall, speaking of legacies, Anthony and I have really enjoyed this process so much and the collaboration. And I love collaboration. I love working with other people, whether it's Wyatt. You and I did a book together that was fun. Anthony and I have worked together for 20 years on different projects. But, but this has really fired us up to tell more stories about Mississippians and their legacies. And, uh, you know, uh, Anthony and I plan on doing that. Anthony, I think what people are going to see Thursday night at 7 o'clock on MPB and then five other times uh, or four other uh, showings uh, in the next week, which fired us up that uh, MPB believes in this project so much and in the quality of this project so much that they're not only airing it on uh, Thursday, this Thursday night at 7 but there are four, is it four or five other it's subsequent four more times? Four uh, more times. 7 p.m. Saturday, uh, 1 p.m. Sunday, <laughs> uh, 9 p.m. Monday, uh, 3 p.m. Friday. And on some of those airings, they're replaying the 1977 classic, The Islander, afterwards. Yeah, and uh, people will be able to view it anytime uh, after Thursday night on uh, MPB Online. Uh, you just go to uh, put Walter Anderson in there and it's going to come up. But. You know, this has been, uh, you know, an amazing press, something that I am extremely proud of, not only the documentary and, and the book, but I think, like I said a minute ago, what people are going to see 
when they see this is not only um, the quality of Walter Anderson's work and how great he was, they're going to see what a great filmmaker Anthony Thaxton is. Oh, wow. And, uh, I mean, he's an artist in, in his own right. And one of the most talented people I have ever known. I mean, he's a musician. He's a singer. He's a writer. He's a filmmaker. He's a director. He's a producer. And, I mean, you're wait till Thursday night, 7. You're going to see. I agree. Thank you both for being with us, Anthony. About to say, fantastic job. Um, it inspired me on many different levels in this documentary. It makes me want to go do the work. That's for sure. All right, we want to thank you for joining us and thank our guests, Robert St. John and Anthony Thaxton. And remember to watch their wonderful new documentary, Walter Anderson, The Extraordinary Life and Art of the Islander, on Thursday at 7 p.m. on MPB Television. Now your talking is produced by the incredible Java Chapman. Stay tuned for Southern Remedy, Healthy and Fit with Josie Bidwell. And join us next week for more great conversations here on MPB Think Radio. Y'all have a great week.